Even as he spoke, they saw, as if she came in answer to their words, the Lady Galadriel approaching. Tall and white and fair, she walked beneath the trees. She spoke no word, but beckoned to them. Turning aside, she led them towards the southern slopes of the hill of Caras Galathon, and passing through a high green hedge, they came into an enclosed garden. No trees grew there, and it lay open to the sky. The evening star had risen and was shining with white fire above the western woods. Down a long flight of steps, the lady went into the deep green hollow, through which ran, murmuring, the silver stream that issued from the fountain on the hill. At the bottom, upon a low pedestal carved like a branching tree, stood a basin of silver, wide and shallow, and beside it stood a silver ewer. With water from the stream, Galadriel filled the basin to the brim and breathed on it, and when the water was still again, she spoke. Here is the mirror of Galadriel, she said. I have brought you here so that you may look in it, if you will. The air was very still, and the dell was dark, and the elf lady beside him was tall and pale. What shall we look for, and what shall we see? asked Frodo, filled with awe. Many things I can command the mirror to reveal, she answered, and to some I can show what they desire to see. But the mirror will also show things unbidden, and those are often stranger and more profitable than things which we wish to behold. What you will see, if you leave the mirror free to work, I cannot tell, for it shows things that were, and things that are, and things that yet may be. But which it is that he sees, even the wisest cannot always tell. Do you wish to look? The Way Lesser Inklings is a podcast whose desire is to mine the depths of great literature to identify the good, the true, and the beautiful through examining characters and places and the writings and to pay homage to the great writers, thinkers, and philosophers of the 20th century known as the Inklings. Welcome back to the Way Lesser Inklings podcast. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Josh Rice, and here with me again is my brother, Jake. Hello. There he is again. And today we're staying in Lorien, and we're going to talk about the chapter that's called The Mirror of Galadriel. Um, it's a pretty iconic chapter, too, but I think maybe maybe a little lighter than the last episode. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll kick it to you, Jake, for opening comments, and then we'll... We can go wherever you see fit yeah. here. Sure. I think that um, there's kind of two, I think there's two major themes is what kind of we've, we've identified here. Um, and one of those is really the relationship with uh, Gladriel to Celeborn, um, a little bit like kind of the idea of submission and, and hierarchy is a big thing throughout the story. And so um, we'll probably, I think we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, the mirror, just the mirror and some of the juxtapositions that happen in the mirror uh, is the other one. Um, and so we'll, you know, we'll break that down too. And then there's other little tidbits, I think, that as we go through that we should work through. Um, like Celeborn kind of specifically, which will we'll tie into that bigger theme. Um, some of the lament for Gandalf still. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then there's probably some other little, little tidbits here and there, but I think the two big themes that we're going to spend the most time on are those. Okay. So I'll, I'll do something uncustomary and I'll, I'll take us through kind of the narrative outline and then, and then we can mm-hmm. jump in there. So if you're, okay. if you remember last week, we ended with basically the, the company had been making their way through Lorien and then they were looking out over the great city of, um, <laughs> Help me, it's escaping me. Karis Galathon. Karis Galathon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so they're they're looking at the city. They see the walls and the gate. And when when this chapter begins, Haldir is bringing them into the city. They have to walk. It's it's said to be really great. There's a gate that's kind of away from them. They have to walk a long way around. Immediately when they come in the city, they're summoned to 
the Lord and Lady of the city, which is Celeborn and Lady Gladriel. Um, so they they go up into the the high tree where the the Lord and Lady are, and when they get there, she basically <laughs> reads their minds or looks into every person's mind in the company, and then they're, they're they talk about what happened with Gandalf and then basically they they go down to get rest and they're just going to rest in safety in the city and that that's where they talk about mourning Gandalf they talk about what she had what they felt like when she was reading their minds essentially and then after several days it, it seems like they don't really know how long because of the way time goes in there it's just really peaceful that there Sam's starting to feel like hey we probably ought to get going again and at that and he's talking about how he wants to see some elf magic and Galadriel walks up just at that time and and tells Frodo and Sam to come with her and she has a magic mirror that she invites them to look at and I, I think obviously for us we're going to spend a lot of time on that because it's the title of the chapter and I think that's what Tolkien probably really wants us to focus on um Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's the chapter. Um, you know, Sam sees Sam sees some visions of the Shire in it. Frodo sees some. Um, he sees Gandalf and he sees Bilbo and he sees a future event that really we'll have to talk about the relevance of that. And then he sees the Great Eye of Sauron. And then he starts to he realizes that Galadriel has one of the three Elven Rings of Power. Um, mm-hmm. And then it ends with kind of the temptation of Galadriel. So that's that's the narrative. Um, mm-hmm. We probably do want to start with. Just, just Celeborn and Galadriel. Probably talk about who are these people, mm-hmm. why are they important, what's going on yeah. here. So I know you did some digging right. on that, so I'll kick it to you yeah. for that. Yeah, so I think it is a good place to land because um, they're the king of the king and queen of this realm, and um, so obviously they they set the tone for you know for for the restful place that we're in. Um, so you know, uh, I'll start with Celeborn. And so, so Celeborn is, uh, a, you know, it dates back at least to the first age, um, is a prince of Doriath, which is an old elven kingdom, a, a hidden kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot like Lorien in a lot of ways. It's a lot like Lorien. Yeah. And, um, and a lot like, uh, the, the Mirkwood elves too, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, a strand off of these we talked about last time. Um, and really, we, we don't have a ton. The other things that we know about Celeborn is that he was a, a warrior. He fought in basically every encounter that the elves have had in middle earth through the first and second age. Um, and even, and even some pieces of the third age. Um, so, and him, him and Gladriel were married in the first age. And so they've obviously they've been together a long time. Thousands. Um, of years. They have a, thousands of years. They have a daughter uh, who's not necessarily relevant to this story, except that she's married to Elrond, hmm. um, and so uh, there, you know, so Arwen is Galadriel's granddaughter. Hmm. Um, so there's there's other ties there mm-hmm. that are important, um, not not necessarily critical to this chapter, and so so Kelborn is is counted as wise, and you know, and he's the leader. Uh, you know anything you want to add? There's not a ton. He's not. He's you know he's not the critical point in the story. No, but I think he does. He is going to represent some confusion for people because we've we've posited some claims already about the the themes of hierarchy and submission in in the book. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to talk about that. No, just press on mm-hmm. with Gladriel. Yeah. So Gladriel, um, we 
you know, we talked a little bit about last week, her being second or third. She's third generation um, in the line of Finarfin, who's the son of Finway, who's a an awakening elf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she's extremely old. She's very powerful. Um, she has, you know, she's not a warrior, which is what we were made to believe in the right, <laughs> in right. Amazon travesty. Yeah. But uh, regardless of that, she is powerful, and her power is in her intellect and in her graciousness. Um, she seems to have an innate power of, um, you know, of, I don't, I think, I guess you'd call it telepathy or at the very least, um, the ability to read people extremely well, mm-hmm. you know, and in the, in the early ages of the trees, she was friends with Yavanna and Ollie who were great Valar. Um, and she was friends with Melian, uh, you know, which is where she came to who's the wife of Thingle, which is how she came to meet Celeborn. Mm-hmm. But Melion is also a Maiar. Mm-hmm. So she's, you know, she's in high company so, as well. So for those who are not as big in nerds and forgot, Maiar are kind of the um, the eternal beings that are like lesser angels. So the wizards are examples and the Balrog and Sauron himself are examples of Maiar. So they're, they're greater than elves and mm-hmm. lesser than Valar like Don Bombadil. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm on a quest right. to mention yeah, him in every episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, so that's kind of where she came from, you know, her character. So she's, uh, she had a desire to come to middle earth, um, because she had a desire to have a land of her own, um, a kind of a dominion, um, kind of mindset. Mm-hmm. And so as she makes her way, she makes her way to middle earth and, you know, and establishes with people. Um, she's around, she's not a part of, but she is around when, um, when Morgoth is thrown out. Um, at that point, the elves are invited back to Valinor and she rejects that because she wants a place in middle earth. Hmm. And so I think those are important for character development because, you know, again, we don't get that in Lord of the Rings, but it, it gives us a hint to her character that she is someone who craves, power in a sense, mm-hmm. right? Power of a place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a little bit of kind of that roving dominion moving idea. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, there's, there's a lot more that could be said, but I don't, you know, if there's anything you want to add specifically. No, I think it's interesting. It, it occurs to me, I'd, I'd had it maybe early, a few days ago when I first read this idea that we, this chapter, I think, I think we're right to say that Kelborn and Galadriel are kind of our first big theme and then temptation and and hierarchy are big themes in this but I think I think another big theme is just there's a lot of contrast and and one of the things that that kind of occurs to me is there's contrast in the way that people what people's desires are in this chapter because we get temptation from some people and then then a couple of people are said to basically have no temptation in this chapter. Like it, mm-hmm. they're completely unashamed and have nothing, no thoughts that make them feel sub uncon or uh, you know self conscious whatsoever. And and Galadriel is not one of those. As as wise and as powerful as she is, she gets sorely tempted. Maybe tempted to a greater extent than anyone else in this chapter. But that ultimately, she is good and she is wise mm-hmm. and she defeats and destroys the temptation. Whereas another character in this chapter is, I think in a very James one sort of way is going to let the temptation hatch into 
um, lust of the flesh that gives birth to sin that ultimately is going to give birth to death. And I very much think Tolkien is planning that in the chapter. I, I think there's just there's so much stuff going on all the time mm-hmm. that it's kind of hard to organize that. But it is good to start here because I think because of what the movies have done. And look, this is not a this is not going to be one of those critiques of the movie. You know, when you read this mm-hmm. chapter, I think that I think that Jackson got this chapter really, really well. It, it's mm-hmm. it's really adapted faithfully. But because of how little the part of Kelleborn is, you kind of lack some context. And so it can lead to this idea. It's like, hey, we've been we've been on this thing. So is Galadriel like the unsubmissive wife? Because Tolkien would have certainly had the worldview of, you know, biblical submission, like the man is going to lead his household and the wife mm-hmm. is not not only because of his Christian worldview, but because of when he lived. <laughs> you know, there was there was not there was not the level of feminism going on. Pretty much everybody believed that at the time that Tolkien was writing this, and so mm-hmm. it, it stands that you have this person and you have this marriage, and the the wife is obviously the higher born, the greater power. You know, she's mm-hmm. she's definitely got different responsibilities and status than Kelleborn. So does that mean that Kelleborn is like the trophy husband? And I, right. I think not, but I think people do struggle yeah. with that. And so yeah. let's start let's start picking at that. And I think that brings us back into the narrative because when yeah. the whole company comes up, I think it's very notable what happens as soon as they come up to the top of the mm-hmm. tree and they they are all there before right. the Lord and the Lady. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. And so what happens there is that you know Kelborn is the first to greet them, right? Kelborn essentially right. They've they've walked into his kingdom, and so. Um, you know, so he's basically, he's extending the hand of friendship to the guests in his kingdom. And I think it is notable to say, right, when, when you walk in, like the, the Lord of the manor is, is who's bringing you into the house. Um, and so he does that. And he also, he also greets everyone courteously and, and, you know, and by name, which I think is also important. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I think specifically I wanted to talk on, uh, you know, his greeting of Gimli, Mm -hmm. you know, he says, welcome Gimli, son of Glowen. It's long indeed since we saw one of Durin's folk in Karas Galathon, but today we have broken our long law. May it be a sign that though the world is now dark, better days are at hand and that friendship shall be renewed between our peoples. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's an element there too of probably a long lament, right? They have this law to protect themselves. And we talked, we talked about the border protection and those things last week. Mm -hmm. We don't need to exhaust that here, but I do think it's it's important that I think there's a wisdom there that Kelleborn carries that says a little bit of a lament, but also a little bit of future looking that says it's it's really not not good that our cultures are separated mm-hmm. and that we've segregated ourselves. Right. Yeah, I definitely saw that, and and he so that that brings into this this conflict that we have that happens is is Kelleborn that he he does he greets them what can only be described as a lordly way you know he he mm-hmm. talks about Aragorn uh, and he I think he tries to encourage him he says that you have a lot more years on you you look like you've been burdened but for mm-hmm. good or bad that's going to be over soon you know kind of that right. encouragement is that we're sprinting to the to the end of this thing here and then he he asks why there's only 8 because they haven't got messages um you know Gandalf just fell and the there's not been news that could have passed, and the fellowship, I guess, was so distraught and then just so basically wiped out that when they got into Lorien, they didn't talk to Haldir about anything they had been doing. 
<laughs> right. They, they would just walked in. It was the task at hand. You know, people were getting blindfolded. They were walking a long ways. And there you go. And so Kelborn asked, why, mm-hmm. w- where is Gandalf? And, you know, they answer and say that, that he fell in Moria to shadow. And it comes about that Aragorn tells the whole story and doesn't exactly know how to describe Durin's Bane. And, and Legolas says that it was a Balrog of Morgoth. And then Kelborn, mm-hmm. I think, says something kind of rash. Right. He, yep. he basically says, had, had I known that, had I known what the dwarves were stirring up, then maybe I would have, uh, I would have forbidden you to pass the Northern borders. Everyone that went with this dwarf essentially. So it, it makes you wonder, I don't, I don't think that his greeting to Gimli was just flattery or anything like that. I think that he really does mm-hmm. speak out of an emotion here and is really distressed and I think that this mm-hmm. instinct is going to show that Celeborn is a warrior, and there's this idea that what what men do, okay, their their instinct. I think that when they feel a threat or when they emotional, is they want to protect and lash out. And then Galadriel mm-hmm. right away is going to act like the 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 nurturing, gracious kind of mother to the people, right? And she's mm-hmm. going to soften that, and I think rightfully soften that. And because Kelborn said he's really almost impugned Gandalf too. He said, you know, why would he needlessly go into there? And and Galadriel says that would be a rash thing to say, right? Mm-hmm. Because Gandalf didn't do anything needless. She says none of his deeds were needless. Those that follow him didn't know his full purpose. Um, but mm-hmm. the followers are blameless. The guide's the one that led them in there. And then she right. she does something super interesting. She mm-hmm. she basically makes an argument that that is really walking in the other person's shoes. She says, you know, what what would you want to do if you had been banished out of Lorien for you know thousands of years? Would you not want to to go back through no matter what the danger and see your home? Mm-hmm. And then she speaks right. in Gimli's own language to him and talks about the beauty of the Kelizarum and and all the springs mm-hmm. around there and. You you can almost see it right. Like Gimli Gimli would have been bristling, I think, with anger at the hurt of Gandalf, and then being told like we shouldn't have even let you in. You've done evil stirring right. that Durin's bane, right. and then Galadriel softens that and speaks to him in his own language. And I think you see just a complete thaw. Tolkien says that that he looked as though he was regarding an enemy who then found love and grace for mm-hmm. him, and it totally. Right lays to rest all of this conflict. And that's a good thing because there's not, there shouldn't be true conflict here. Right. Thoughts on that. Right. I know it kind of went off. No, it is. And I think it's an important point. I think that it's the, there's a line in the middle that's, that's really important that Galadriel says to Celeborn and says, do not repent of your welcome to the dwarf. Mm. Right. And, and really by omission, she's saying do repent of your hastiness and condemnation. Um, and, and he actually does like he, Mm -hmm. right. He heeds the, the verbal cue of his wife, right. Which is correct. Mm -hmm. Like I think, you know, in, in the relationship, right. We're, we're both accounted to holiness, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, but she does it in such a gracious way in a non accusatory way. She says, you you know, she, she encourages and says, you were right to greet the dwarf as you did, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so Celeborn, you know, Celeborn comes back and says, I didn't realize your plight was so evil. Let Gimli forget my harsh words, 
you know, I spoke in the trouble of my heart and right. Like to your point, right. He spoke in rashness Mm -hmm. because of, because of who he is Mm -hmm. and his, his wife has softened, right. His headship. Mm -hmm. And he he says, and the repentance is he repents of his harsh words by saying that he's going to do what he can to aid them, all of them according to their Mm -hmm. wish and need. He's so as much as he can, he's going to give them not only what they need, he's going to give them what they wish. Right. And that's that's right. a super interesting thing is that that immediately what happens is through the wife's encouragement and I think through the you know through the wife's wisdom lady wisdom in a way and I think Galadriel really represents that that she she really is lady mm-hmm. wisdom that she speaks and and Kelborn I think instantly that that melts too she's seen this interaction or he's seen this interaction and he decides to step back so I don't think in any way that we're seeing I don't think that we're seeing in any way Galadriel. Um, putting on the daddy pants or anything and deciding that she's in control of the situation and that he's out. Right. I don't think that's the case. Right. So, so what would yeah. you say to people, you know, we were, we were pretty hard on the culture of Lorien last week, right? About they have all this power and mm-hmm. they just sit here. <laughs> we were pretty hard yeah. on that. And, and I think, yeah. I think we start to see something here that, you know, I know you were, you were talking to, to Cooper the other day and he was he was really questioning like is Gladriel out ahead of her skis right like because because mm-hmm. the movie presents yeah. like you know Kelborn said some nice things and then Gladriel does all the stuff um, right <laughs> I, I think there's some subtle yeah. stuff here there's there's some things that we know about Gladriel from the Silmarillion that you talked about one of the things is that she she really is a person that wanted to not stay still that she wanted to go mm-hmm. and adventure and right and basically be a lord or a lady, right? She wanted to to rule. And mm-hmm. she also says in this chapter that if her designs had not gone wrong, that she would have made Gandalf the head of the White Council. Mm-hmm. I know we talked about that last week, and, we, and I want to draw that connection back and not labor it, but if Gandalf had right. been the head of the White Council, then what the White Council would have been doing is kind of what we prescribed in the last, last week's podcast, is they would have been rooting out the enemy every time they got a sense of the enemy and taking over his stuff. Mm-hmm. Is there any doubt about that to you, that, that that's what no, kind of I head of the council? So. But Saruman, mm-hmm. who what became the head of the White Council, is really the kind of guy who likes to just sit and you know stew in his own brilliance as a as an Ebony Tower academian and, and doesn't ever <laughs> do anything. And I think Galadriel is not wired that way, but here we see Galadriel staying in she's been the lady of Lorien for a thousand years you know she's mm-hmm. she's staying in here not going anywhere and i think i think there's an obvious answer as to why that's happening and i, I think that that's right. she's in submission to her husband who has probably right. decided that he's laying up his weapons mm-hmm. at some point have you fought in enough wars to where you get the you get the feeling like i yeah <laughs> i don't want to fight any more wars <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm 8,000 yeah. years old or whatever, and I don't want to fight anymore. And and I right. think in as opposed to having girl boss, you know, warrior princess Gladriel, what we really see is a a graceful, encouraging wife who who has really decided to, you know, stay by her husband and to to build this in some ways kind of a home, you know, this yeah. this people, they're singing, there's peace everywhere. You know, right. it's it's a peaceful home, and and, and to right. a large extent, she's made it that way. So, is she outside right. of submission by making her home a peaceful place? 
Right. No, I would, I would say no. And there's another, and there's another thing again, that's a hint to Kelleborn's character. Um, you know, and, and I think Anna and the, the grace of Gladriel right at the end of kind of this, uh, encounter where they, they meet them, where they meet Kelleborn and Gladriel, she says, you know, essentially that, uh, they've been in the West since the days of dawn and I've dwelt with him years uncounted. And I'm going to skip a part. Um, she says, Together through ages of the world, we have fought the long defeat, right? He's, he's fought at every turn, right? He's, he's been there in battle against the enemy, you know, with his putting his life on the line. And it's like, you know, there's maybe finally this respite. You could understand that mm-hmm. uh, a, a creature that's, you know, whatever, 6,000 years old, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know the number, but who's who knows how many battles he's fought in just like doesn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> it should be noted here that Gladriel's eschatology is quite depressing, mm-hmm. right? That, that, yeah. real, so what is her defeat is that ultimately she's going to be able to sail to Valinor and you know, she's going to live in paradise. I think when you contrast her, her eschatology is a little bit different than Aragorn's because Aragorn's right. is really all about like, it's, it's really just starting here. I'm going to have to, mm-hmm. I'm going to take my kingdom and then I'm going to start extending my kingdom everywhere. Cause that's the kind of, we talked about that last week. That's the kind of man he is. Mm-hmm. Aragorn is not pessimistic. Yeah. Aragorn is pushing it forward. And I think, I think, you know, it's a warning that if you do tend to be a pessimistic person, like you are going to yeah. get a lot more tired because, because yeah. at some point you start <laughs> to think like, well, what am I even trying to do here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, right. and that's that's Gladriel. I mean, Gladriel really has a damned if you do, damned if you don't idea about the whole quest here. It's like mm-hmm. we're dead either way. It's, it's yeah. like, I, I mean, for someone yeah. so wise, I think you you probably ought to be a little bit more optimistic <laughs> than that. <laughs> I would say. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's you know, it's it's also interesting in the after math of right we we know the conclusion of the story right that that she sails away um you know with the passing of the ring bearer and and Celeborn stays in the you know through the through parts of the fourth age through much of aragorn's reign mm-hmm. you know presumably helping him advance his kingdom mm-hmm. right and so again there's kind of this like yeah she's weary with you know, her with whatever, with the pessimism, with the, the melancholy, um, and Kelleborn kind of, you know, puts in one last, you know, it's not a physical battle, but you know, he, he goes forward one more time. That's definitely true. Um, mm-hmm. and so I think in, in transitioning to the temptation of all of them, she, she basically mm-hmm. then holds them in her glance for a long time. And, you know, she's told them that the quest stands on the edge of the knife and that the only thing that's going to keep it, um, away from ruining everyone is if everyone in the company is true very pointedly says that as long as everyone is true and so then presumably while she's making eye contact and probing them whatever that means you know if she's Mm -hmm. if she's speaking to them telepathically or you know if she's just looking at them and they're putting their own thoughts in their head however that's working she she is basically set the stage for what they're going to think about. It's going to be, what is it going to take that's going to, that would tempt you to not be true to the company, to not see the mission through. And it says that the, that the only two of them that could endure her gaze 
were Aragorn and Legolas. So Aragorn mm-hmm. is, I think, pretty obvious because because mm-hmm. we know at this point that Aragorn knows it's do or die, that there is no temptation yeah. that's going to take right. him off his path. He, this is his destiny right. that he's been building for his whole life. There's there's nothing that could be offered that would take him off the quest. Legolas, mm-hmm. I think, is a little bit more curious. I, what did you make of that? Yeah, I, I kind of took it to be more of mostly like a kinsman play. Mm-hmm. Is it like he's they're kind of in the same place where they're hold up in their kingdom. They're kind of of a like approach to the world. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and Legolas is unique that he's come out and joined in the fray, uh, which is which is important. But I, I, I kind of just have this idea that like he's he's not really he's not tempted by power. Um, because they have their kingdom, they don't, he doesn't have a domination, uh, you know, mentality. And so like, in a sense, there's, there's really, you know, no temptation away from the company for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In fact, he's right. In fact, in this place, he's in a greater place than his home. Right. uh, Right. And so like his temptation to go anywhere else is non-existent. Hmm. Do you, do you think that, um, do you think that Gimli's temptation is going to change through the course of this? Because he basically said that he thought that the choice before them would never be known. Like that almost the, mm-hmm. the temptation was is that you could get out and not even suffer any shame for it. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think Gimli, it's very obvious that, that the real temptation for Gimli is going to be to stay in Lorien. And, it, and it's mm-hmm. not because he's lazy, so too. right? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's because he's, he, he, yeah. falls in love with the culture and that right. he really is smitten by Galadriel and her kindness to him. I think he's just drawn right. to her, to her majesty in a way. Right. Right. No, I agree. I, I definitely agree. Yeah. So, yeah. so Sam and you know, the hobbits all basically <laughs> 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 interestingly, and I think importantly, yeah. the hobbits, it's all basically about like, um, going back to the Shire, I think. And having some mm-hmm. comfort, Mary Pippin, Sam, all of them, and and Sam mm-hmm. looked away the quickest, and I think we're going to see because that temptation is near and dear to his heart that he really was embarrassed about it because I think in his mind Sam, Sam is absolutely loyal to the cause and loves his master, but the temptation mm-hmm. to go to the Shire is very very strong in him, and I think that's why he couldn't look at her for any amount of time. He was embarrassed about what his desires are, and mm-hmm. and we we get that you know exposited later like it's right that's not guessing yeah. he's gonna tell us exactly what it is and and so right. i think yeah, that's, that's why he's first plainly. you know mm-hmm. yeah and then we get boromir right <laughs> <laughs> so the flawed w- man <laughs> w- would you say would you say that this is the first indication in the story that that there's something wrong now with boromir he- it's hard to it's hard to say because of the knowledge of what the events that can unfold. I think that there's some signs about him distrusting the guide, um, maybe, mm-hmm. but but really not a play toward the ring itself. And so I don't I don't think there's any I don't think there's any expression of yeah of his like for lack of better terms his kind of traitorous you know desire for the ring. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and he really and, and that's he he, yeah. he does the whole sin cycle here, right? Like he he has temptation that gives birth to desire, that gives for birth to lust, and then sin, mm-hmm. and then death. But yeah. but what really happens here, and and Tolkien just tells us he doesn't blatantly tells uh, tell us, but he tells us because what Boromir does immediately is he tries to blame Gladriel. He he mm-hmm. says, you know, true men like me would never take that she acted like she had the power to give me something but she doesn't really Mm -hmm. and he's got it all wrong and then it says he says he wouldn't tell them what she tempted him with and then tolkien Mm -hmm. very notably and and very pointedly says that he started um pressing frodo with questions you know right what she looked at you a long time um and and then frodo's just a closed book I, i think frodo has been well trained that we don't talk about the mission. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. I think Frodo learned pretty well in Bree yeah. that. We, right. He got the message. Yeah, we're there. not playing around with that because <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. he says I'm going to keep that stuff in my mind. And and Boromir yeah. basically comes back again and impugns Gladriel's character, and and Aragorn rebukes him really harshly and says, "There's mm-hmm. no evil here unless you bring it." And so now it's time to rest. And so that's the right. temptation, um, and, and Tolkien is pointing us that way, right? Even if you've not read the story yet, this was, should be a thing that as you're reading literature, literature, like he's he's really trying to tell us what's going on here, and he mm-hmm. he he does it with this really kind of quick page, essentially. Yeah, but it's all there, yeah. and and there is a yeah. problem in the company, a real problem, right? And from right. this point, it's going to start growing, right? Yep. Any more comments yeah, about that absolutely. stuff? No, I don't think so. I think, I do think it's important. Yeah, it's just important for us to, I think, keep in mind, and we did a lot earlier and, and we haven't recently, I don't think, is the what the ring does, mm-hmm. right? And, and we do get even more pointed to that at the end of this chapter. Right. But, and, and I don't, and that's important too, is Tolkien doesn't let us go too long without reminding us of that, mm-hmm. right, in his way. He doesn't explicitly tell us that. Yeah. But it's always there. Yeah. That's the truth. Um, last bit, probably before we, we, we come to a song, and I think we should probably mm-hmm. do a section here on the lament to Gandalf. Um, I don't want to yep. skip the song. Not, like, I don't even have any desire to speed through it. Um, basically, as they get to rest, like, it's, it's, they finally get a chance to breathe, really. And what they're going to do mm-hmm. is that they're all speaking about Gandalf, and they're they're basically having their wake, you know, or their funeral, yeah. where they're they're getting to talk about all the things that that they remembered about him, and they're trying to comfort each other. and And the elves are singing songs of lamentation all around them, once mm-hmm. again pointing to the character of Gandalf, right? That yeah, he was well loved by by all good people. And if you don't right. love Gandalf, that means you're probably corrupt. <laughs> so I'll put that there because mm-hmm. that's, that's going to come for us in a few instances later on. Yeah. Because, because there was really nothing to, there was nothing to not love. I mean, Gladriel said herself that he did no needless deeds. He was always mm-hmm. striving towards a purpose. And that purpose was always good. It was always the preservation of other people, not for himself. And so then right. Frodo makes this song. And I think I think this brings us into a, a set of the biggest contrast in the chapter, um, because Frodo, when he tells the song, he, it, I don't know. I'll ask you. I don't want to poison the well. What What were your thoughts about the song itself? 
what's Tolkien doing with it, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I think there's a couple things. I do think that it's uh, it's first bringing kind of Frodo into Bilbo's world. Um, and I think that's, and he, he does point us there, um, with Sam's comment, but I, I think there's, that's a purposeful move is that Frodo's continuing to become more like Bilbo, um, which is, which is, I think is, imp- is pretty important. Um, I think the other thing, uh, you know, he, um, I don't know. I think there's like some kind of just comparing comparing and contrasting lines like swift and anger, but quick to laugh. Right. Uh, he, um, oh, where was it? You know, dwarf and hobbit elves and men with mortal and immortal folk with bird and bow and beast and din in their own secret tongues. He spoke, mm. right. Like things like this where it's, um, recognizing that, you know, Gandalf was, um, a kind for, you know, for everyone who was good, he reached everyone, um, you know, and it, and it didn't even matter. Like, it doesn't matter if they're men or elves. It doesn't matter if they're beast or bird is that he was, he's gracious to all. And, you know, I think there's, I think there's some things to touch on there, but, um, my bigger thing, my biggest thing was more so that like, obviously to recognize Gandalf's greatness and goodness, but I, I kind of saw it more as Frodo kind of developing into, into the Bilbo type is the bigger thing I saw mm. with it. I like that. And I think, I think it's there in the text because it, we don't have to wait long. Sam says that, you know, you're going to be like Bilbo before long. You're going to beat him. And then at the end of this, Frodo says that he's going to leave more verses to Sam because he can't even bear to think of bringing this news to Bilbo. So, mm-hmm. so all this stuff is intertwined. I kind of saw it in more of a meta sense as, as what's going to happen at the mirror. And I, I think we start to see a contrast mm-hmm. that begins here between Sam and Frodo. And this kind of keep, keeps our theme of hierarchy and wisdom. But I think that we see a difference here where Frodo Frodo has the much greater wisdom than Sam. Because in the song, mm-hmm. Frodo, Frodo is basically talking about his his friend Gandalf, but who was also much greater than his friend. And Frodo shows a mm-hmm. real understanding of the way the world works in this song. He's talking about vast expanse of geography. He's talking about um, all kinds of deeds that Gandalf has done. Look, I mean, he, he had to get that from researching, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, like Frodo, Frodo right. has thought about this stuff that he's, he's read and exposed himself and tried to learn about all the deeds of Gandalf so he can put this in verse. And then and then Sam's verse that he wants to say, he wants to add it in. You know, the finest rockets ever seen, they burst in stars of blue and green, or after thunder, golden showers came falling like a rain of flowers. Like, it's a nice verse, mm-hmm. a nice rhyme, but it, it shows, I think, the narrowness of Sam's education and his worldview, right? Sam, Sam mm-hmm. is concerned with the only the things that he's experienced in his life. There, there's not greater mm-hmm. reading, and it, this is one of those things where you can you can look at Sam and say, where does the character development happen? I think we're seeing character development happen all the time with Sam, but what we're seeing really subtly with Sam is that he's growing into the person who's going to finish the whole history of the Rings after Frodo leaves. That that Sam, mm-hmm. Sam is going to be a person who does read and study the world and becomes a man of letters and that sort of thing. But right now he's more concerned about firework. Like what he remembers is that Gandalf made pretty fireworks. 
You know, mm-hmm. he, he's not really right. put the time in. And I think we're really going to see that contrast as we get to the mirror here. Right. Because, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so in, in moving to that, we, we get to the last stages of this chapter and I think it's the most notable and, you know, they've, they've been here for time. They're ready to go. <laughs> Sam starts talking about, hey, you know, I, we need to start getting to go now. It's going to get harder to leave if we sit here any longer. But I really wish yeah. I could see some, some sweet magic <laughs> before we leave. <laughs> and, and if you go all the way back in this podcast to the beginning episode where the sound was real bad and, you know, we were <laughs> we were fumbling around in the dark in a way. In, in the prologue, mm-hmm. we talked uh, talked quite a bit about magic as, and Tolkien's thoughts on magic. And it, Tolkien brings it out again because Galadriel with all our wisdom kind of says, I don't really understand what you're talking about with this magic, Sam, because you mm-hmm. know, the, the enemy can do arts like what you're describing. And, uh-huh. and Tolkien talks about magic and it's, it's really beautiful here is that magic is just something that, that people could do because of their nature. It was kind of like ontological, right? right? The, the hobbits yeah. had a magic of being silent in the woods. Mm-hmm. It's what they do. You know, yeah. Galadriel has, magic of foresight and being able to see and and being able to read into thoughts and minds and so the extension of her magic here is going to be exactly what she can do anyway and i think in a sense what she's going to do is share herself with frodo and sam like what she's able to do in her mind all the time she's going to give a vehicle to Frodo and Sam so that they can get some insight into, into that power that she has, but it's, it's ontological power. It's, it's not right. like she says a magic spell like Gandalf does, right? Mm-hmm. Gandalf has a different kind of yeah. magic, but, but the elves have yeah. this more, um, in a way, more natural magic. Mm-hmm. It's just who they are. Well, yeah. And there's a sense there too. And I, you know, I think there could be other readings that explore kind of the natures of magic and, and there are, you know, there are trains of thought, right. That magic, like, like Gandalf's kind of magic is spoken is a, is something that's maybe less, uh, less nature in, in its form, but it also, um, but it's a derivative of nature by calling on the name of nature, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's, 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 um, it's, on purpose that when he holds the branch aloft, right, he's calling on nature to light the branch or to thunder strike or to lightning strike the branch or whatever, you know, whatever it is mm-hmm. that he does, you know? And so like, it's not just that he's, he's summoning like in a different way, something that's, mm-hmm. but the, also that it already exists. Well, and I think he tells us how it exists because, you know, at the, at the key se- section that we read about Gandalf, he says that he's a servant of the secret fire, right? Mm-hmm. And, what what we know from Tolkien's writing in his canon is that there were these Valar that were in place that were in charge of some of the elements, right? So like Manwe mm-hmm. was the was the Valar that was in charge of the airs and the wind. Olmo was in charge of the waters, right? So mm-hmm. the idea would be, I think, that Gandalf, as a servant of Iluvatar, would have the ability, in a sense, to call on. The, these guardians to to use their mm-hmm. their elemental powers in the service of God essentially mm-hmm. and I, I think that's right. probably what he's got going on and and so in some sense that's a more to our mind in America more in a Harry Potter mind like that that would be more what we think of as magic spells but mm-hmm. but it's not coming from some innate 
power that Gandalf has, and that's why they look the way they do. It's it, but it is still mm-hmm. because of who he is. He is a servant of the Secret yeah. Fire, whereas Galadriel right. can give foresight because that's what she does. <laughs> she mm-hmm. she was given that right. That's that's a right. thing that she was blessed with to be able to do the task that she does, and so I think that's pretty good. I didn't, I really didn't expect to do that. But I think there is kind mm-hmm. of the nature yeah. of magic that gets talked about there, and then we see another example yeah. of it. You know, as she's she comes out there, and it says that the evening star had risen and was shining with white fire. I mean, I, I think there's probably pretty good reason to believe that that's Arendelle's star, which is just another mm-hmm. bit of magic that's <laughs> that's, right. that's playing out for the elves, yeah. right? Right. So I think this this whole chapter is soaked in it, really, in a way that like kind of that recalls those old forest chapters you know where yeah there's just magic yeah. tingling in the air in a sense we got right. it with the trees in the last chapter mm-hmm. right yeah kind of in right in twofold again to bring bombadil back into it but it's mm-hmm. like it's it's the power of you know it's the power of the place right in the old forest and here right there's a power in nature mm-hmm. but it's in the power of the one to seek out the glory of it and will dominion over it as well. Mm-hmm. Nice. So. so she she gets the mirror, and I think we explained well what that is. And it's it's interesting that she breathes on it, right? That there's this mm-hmm. stream again. What you just said that the water in this mirror is coming from, you know, this stream that's running right through the middle of this enchanted city, you know, mm-hmm. and and she breathes on it in a way I think indicating that she's probably imbuing her her power on it in a sense. Right. And, and then yeah. she asked them the question, are you, you know, do you want to look at it? <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. I, I think it's very interesting that Sam looks at it first. And I think the reason that Sam looks at it first is because he lacks in wisdom. Right. I, I, I don't think that that's a slam yeah. on him. I, no, I, I think that what? he wanted to see some tricks and he doesn't really know Right. He he doesn't really understand how cautious he probably should be. Which let's yeah. go back to way back and talk about Gildor, right? There, there's yep. a lot of hints of that here that that Galadriel yes. is going to tell him. You know, she'll say like, "I can't tell you what you should do," right? Right. The, the only thing I can tell you is I can give you some clarification on what th- things that might happen or what has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, in this sense, I think Frodo has kind of taken this advice, and he's really mm-hmm. wary. Like, I, I he yeah. he's like, uh, I don't I don't know if I even should look. You know, yeah. where Sam is yeah. kind of like, yeah, I'll look. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think Sam's piece of the of the song is is instructive here too, right? Is that like the fireworks are are like a curio, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like in his mind, the mirror is too. You know, it's it's a flash and bang thing, but it's you know, it's it's so much more than that. Gandalf was so much more than that, and the mirror is so much more than that. Absolutely, yeah. I think in some mm-hmm. ways Sam deals with things that he he doesn't quite understand. But the mirror also is going to, in a sense, I think it's because it's Galadriel's mirror. This mirror is going to be no more temptation than Sam can bear, you know. And it's it's not going to be a heavy burden that's thrust on him. There there's mm-hmm. elements of Galadriel's grace in this that. She doesn't just look. It, it's no it, Sam doesn't see the the great eye of Sauron, right? Sam Sam sees things that trouble him that are much less significant, 
in the in the events of the world. So, you know, mm-hmm. Sam kind of doesn't believe in it, right? And then he sees the stars start to go yeah. out, and it says the gas for air, and he sees he starts to see some flashes, right? He sees um, sun shining, trees waving, um, that fades, and he sees Frodo with his face pale, lying fast asleep under a cliff. And then he starts to go through a dim passage and he climbs a winding stair. And then he mm-hmm. is looking for something, but he doesn't know what. And then he sees trees, but they're not close. And then he sees that they're crashing to the ground and it's Ted Sandyman cutting trees down in the Shire. And then that makes him super mad. And he says he needs to go back yeah. to the Shire and cut Ted Sandyman down. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting, though, that, that Sam, what Sam does see of the future is directly related to what him and Frodo are going to be doing. So Mm -hmm. in a sense, I think there is like, even the mirror sees that Sam is kind of where, where Frodo is single-minded on mission and his friends, Sam is single-minded about Frodo and his home. And so all Mm -hmm. Sam sees is Frodo, what him and Frodo are going to be doing. And then he sees his home and the temptation is his home. To, to go back. Right. And and Galadriel, yeah. I think, to show that she really wasn't tempting them, Galadriel does say, You you can't go back. That's not Yeah. <laughs> you're not gonna be able yeah. to do that. Plus would you really right. want to? And then he's embarrassed. You know, yeah. and he, he repents of it right. and says, No, I yeah. I can't. Is that do you think I'm kinda on there? Anything you want to say about yeah. Sam there? Um No, I don't think I don't think so. Um no, yeah, I think he's, I think it's, you know, too, it's, it's, uh, something that we see that like rashness or haughtiness, you know, and Kelleborn exi- exhibited a little bit of that at the beginning, mm-hmm. right? Where there's, you know, I, I definitely, uh, when I read the last part of this chapter, like Gildor was clearly in my mind, mm-hmm. you know, as I'm reading it and, and like Gildor exhibits no rashness. And so, right, there's a, there's a folly in the rash you know, behavior and he is embarrassed of it, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, Kelleborn turns from his rashness here, mm-hmm. you know, and Sam, I think, you know, Sam does after kind of being called out on it. Yeah. And but I think, it, it's a character, it's a character move that he's going to have to, you know, develop out of. Right. And I think, I think developing like defeating temptation grows you in sanctification and, and Sam here mm-hmm. is going to grow that much more loyal to Frodo, mm-hmm. you know, that, yeah. that this is not going to be the real temptation again. He's not going to leave. Yeah. There's no way. He's not even going to think that right. way anymore. The only way to come back is with Frodo at the end of it all. And he's going to be really yep. persistent and indomitable on that. So now Frodo looks after mm-hmm. asking questions, wondering if he should. And I think what Frodo sees is super interesting. He sees presumably Gandalf walking slowly on a road um, by himself and then mm-hmm. he then he sees a um, <laughs> he sees a glimpse of Bilbo walking around shuffling papers and walking in his room, and then he sees uh, black ships going through the White City with smoke everywhere, like smoke of war. And then mm-hmm. that basically curtain drops, right? And he sees out of the dark the the flaming red eye coming out of emptiness mm-hmm. that starts to steam up the water and, and he gets drawn into the water and starts, starts leaning his head down and Galadriel breaks him out of it by saying, don't touch the water. 
and and that mm-hmm. ends the vision. So, how do we unpack that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one, you know, yeah. So one thing at a time. I think it's, you know, I think it's uh, for us. We know that the bent figure is Gandalf, right? Who's heavy on Frodo's mind. Mm-hmm. He's going to be heavy on Frodo's mind. One, because he fell, but two, because he's his guide and you know and mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his, his protector. And so, you know, I don't know that there's a lot to add. It is, I think it's a twofold. I think it's right. It's given us a character view of Frodo. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it's, but it's also, um, it's also given us a breadcrumb. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. (laughs) You know, and, and I think, so the first two with Gandalf and Bilbo is the mirror showing Frodo what he desired to see in in some Mm -hmm. sense, you know, it's it's giving him information that he wanted to know about or wanted to see. Right. And then it's going to show yeah. him something that he didn't bid that there's no way he could have bid to see, which is the, mm-hmm. the what we'll know later is the Corsairs of Umbar, Umbar coming to Minas Tirith in the middle of this huge war, right? Right. We don't need to talk about that right now, I don't think. No. It's just one of those things that this mirror in, in some ways just shows – you know, there's yeah. you're involved in this greater world. I think the deeper meaning is and that Frodo doesn't even know is that this is Aragorn's event, and so what Ga- mm-hmm. what Frodo is seeing in the mirror is the three people that are the most important to him in the story. It's Gandalf, right? It's Bilbo, and it's Aragorn, and the, so right. the mirror oh. is showing he's outward focused, but on the important players in the mission, right? Yeah, and all all players who have led him specifically, mm-hmm. right? So men that he looks up to because they've right they've given him guidance Mm -hmm. and directly right directly involved themselves in his mission right right for love of him Mm -hmm. and then we see the the thing that he definitely didn't want to see right yeah and you know interesting that that sauron's eye comes out of emptiness right that that sauron is Mm -hmm. emptiness he's desolation and all yeah. he's ever doing is he's he's really the the opposite of Galadriel in this chapter is that while Galadriel with grace looks into people's mind with the intent of trying to help them, trying to strengthen them, Sauron looks into people's mind because he wants to know everything you know and dominate you. That's the mm-hmm. idea. And and he yep. can't do it quite yet. And this this ends a vision and it ends with with the conversation here that yeah. G- Galadriel now says that I know what you saw for that's also on my mind, mm-hmm. which the movie did a great job with that line. And Kate Blanchett was just on fire yeah. when she delivered that line. It's, it's right. It's one that's saying basically the great eye is constantly probing Galadriel too. He, yep. he's trying to penetrate her shadow and the way she's blocked off her mind to him. And she says something very interesting. She says that her land has not been maintained by arrows, but it's been maintained by um, knowing the Dark Lord's mind, that she sees Mm -hmm. all of his mind that concerns the elves, and he gropes ever to see him, but the door is closed. So she's winning the war by information. She knows what he's doing, and he doesn't know what she's doing, because I think she she has the greater power of mind. She's aided by the ring that that Frodo can now see, that she has one of the three, Mm -hmm. and I don't know. I don't. I don't want to go too far there. I only give you a chance there to kind of talk about that mm-hmm. piece. Yeah, I think it's um, you know it's instructive to their again their place too. I think I think giving us a little bit of a softening of 
you know, our take last week of them holding up, mm-hmm. right, is that she does know that, again, I'm, I'm not necessarily excusing it and backing away from that, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, in Tolkien's character development, he makes it understandable that she knows that Sauron desires to crush and destroy the elves. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and so basically they've, they've created an impenetrable fortress, or at least the, it would be that way until the very last, mm-hmm. right? Like her stronghold and Elrond's stronghold would be the last. Mm-hmm. Well, Bombadil's would be um, the last. Bombadil's <laughs> would be the very last. The, the His would be the last, last. <laughs> you know, but yeah, so, so, you know, they're creating protection um, from, from the roving eye. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting too, that like he explicitly desires to break into her mind, mm-hmm. right? Like kind of understanding, I think it's a, a subtle nod. He doesn't know who has the rings necessarily, mm-hmm. but he would, I think he would be able to whittle it down Mm-hmm. to a few yeah. pretty, you know, pretty, I don't know, I want to say easily, but based on who's left, essentially, mm-hmm. and and who has the power to resist him. Right. And that's that's kind of the so thing is that the three can't be dominated by the one because he never touched them, right? That mm-hmm. that they work in opposition to his, and, right. and they work in a different way, where his is used to just completely dominate and overpower. Theirs is used mm-hmm. to preserve, to, to preserve right. and to keep and protect. So yeah, I don't right. I don't know a soft look, I'm not when when we did that last week, I'm not I'm not saying that the people that holding up are bad people or evil evil people. I'm just saying that if you want to have the long defeat, that's a certain way mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just to, yeah. just to hole up, you know, and right. let him grow in power until he jolly well pleases to to go and yeah. you know, strike out. So yeah. last bit here um yep she she basically talks about this this thing about how she's fighting against Sauron she she talks about this thing and then Frodo <laughs> Frodo delivers the uh, in a in a way it's astounding his he's he's wise and he's courteous and he really pays back all of Galadriel's offering things to the fellowship with this one line he says you are wise and fearless and fair lady gladriel i will give you the one ring if you ask for it it is too great a matter mm-hmm. for me now i think frodo thinks he's speaking the truth here but he's not giving the one ring to gladriel right that's not going to happen we know from how the end yeah. of the story happens that that's not yeah. going to happen but yeah. he's kind of overwhelmed by her here i think she's mm-hmm. she's changed in his sight he sees her kind of unveiled with her power. And so being bowled over, he asks a very shrewd question. And I think what's happening here is what you think is happening here. And that this is the rings play. Yeah, (laughs) I think so too. Uh, Yeah, I definitely think so. I think, I think that like in a sense it's, it's Frodo turning the tables on Galadriel, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think by the power of the ring that a couple things happen is that, you know, first is that, Galadriel, like the power she's using in her land with the the guests in her land is to tempt them to to what their failing point might be. Hmm. And and so, you know, it's interesting that Frodo uses the exact same maneuver. Mm-hmm. Right? Now does Frodo have the wisdom to see it? 
uh, hard to say. By the power of the ring, yeah. I'd say yes. Yeah, she says you begin to see with a keen eye. Um, she mm-hmm. says you're gently revenged for my testing of your heart at our first meeting. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then and then she says, you many long years I pondered what I might do should the great ring come into my hands. She says that my heart has greatly desired to ask what mm-hmm. you offer. So this is a this is a real temptation that Galadriel mm-hmm. in her uh, in her desire to rule in her desire to do those sorts of things she mm-hmm. she really wants to take the ring yeah she and i think <laughs> yeah she does yeah and i and i think again it talks to the character that she has a character that wants to um to adventure to and really to uh, not to dominate, but to take dominion over great lands. Um, and, you know, and the ring would, would be a valuable product <laughs> in <laughs> in that pursuit. I think the other thing that I find fascinating here, though, is that she, right, she's in, a, in the way that she kills her temptation is by speaking it aloud, mm-hmm. right? Ooh, I she love reveals, that. Take. That's one of my favorite she, things to talk about with sin. <clears throat> she she reveals the shame of her heart by 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 speaking it openly to Frodo. Mm-hmm. you know, and not, not giving it power over her. Cause it, I think, right. She says that she's dwelt on it many long years <laughs> and like, that's a powerful thing that if you were just going to take it, if you were going to succumb to the temptation, you would just take it, mm-hmm. you know? And I think, I think she's, she's putting, she's putting to death the temptation by opening, you know, opening her heart and her mind about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, it's so cool because in what appears to be her weakness, she should, she really proves her strength. And look, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give credit where it's due. I think the movie's absolutely nailed this scene. I think that she does grow terrible in front of Frodo. That that her almost her Glorfindel spirit self is fully revealed to him as she's going mm-hmm. on about how terrible and beautiful she'll be. That you know as strong it fares the sea and the sun and the snow dreadful as a storm and lightning stronger than the foundations of the earth all will love me in despair what a what a line all will love me in despair they'll be they'll be overtaken with just a jealous love for her and the despair that they can't mm-hmm. have her it's it's almost like the complete um culmination if eve got what she wanted with the curse right that her desire mm-hmm. will be for her husband it's almost the other way around everybody's desire will be for her she actually, right. her temptation is almost to become fallen Adam here. And yeah. and what happens is, after all this huge growth, it says that, that her ring was up and there was a huge light and everything was dark around her. And she was beautiful beyond enduring, terrible and worshipful. And then she drops her hand and the light fades and she laughs. Mm-hmm. And, and says she was a shrunken, slender elf woman clad in simple white whose gentle voice was soft and sad. I passed the test, she said. I will diminish and go into the West and remain Galadriel. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing thing to deny temptation. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it is it is interesting, too, because right, she speaks the temptation aloud. And she has the power to, I think, like what she's doing is manifesting the evil that would come over her to show how terrible it is. Mm-hmm. Right. She she has the ability to do that because she's great and powerful. And and it's a like what it does, right? It's it's beauty beyond enduring. And it's like so then like the grace that she's shown 
uh, to all the company as they've come through wouldn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause they wouldn't even be able to stand in her presence. No, no, she cause would, her, cause her, des- right. Cause her desire then is to, right. Is to overrule them with her radiance mm-hmm. and not to welcome them into her home. And, and in some sense, I think that she, as this chapter ends, I think that she basically tells Frodo, cause Frodo asks her like, Hey, I've put the ring on before. Like, why why can't I know the thoughts of everybody who wears it? You know, if that's what you would have. And and she, in a way, says, in a sense, like, because you're innocent, because you didn't mm-hmm. know that the ring would do that, and you would have to become a lot stronger and train your will to the domination of others to be able to do mm-hmm. it. So Gladriel's temptation yeah. is to train your will to the domination of others. Frodo... Yeah. Is, is has never thought of the ring that way. And it's interesting that right. before this is over, he has been given the sight. He sees the ring. Sam can't. She asked him about that. And then Sam says, in his in his small mind, he says, it, it, <laughs> I wish you, I almost wish you would take it, lady, because you'd stop them from digging up the gaffer, gaffer and turning him out. And she says, yeah. I would. It would begin that way, but it would not stop. Mm-hmm. And she slams the door in temptation. We're not speaking of it anymore. Right. Yeah. And she, she responds, you know, obviously Gandalf at, at his offering says a similar thing, Mm -hmm. right? I would seek to use it out of pity Mm -hmm. for those, but that's not where it would stop. It's, it's interesting how Gandalf's desire, Gandalf's temptation is totally different though, that, Mm -hmm. that Gandalf really is about other people, not in a dominion sort of way. He, he really did want to just help other people but understood that the mm-hmm. ring would not keep him there. Galadriel really has the true mm-hmm. temptation that, you know, that she, she would use the ring like Sauron does that that's her right. temptation. And, right. you know, ultimately I think she, she would be able to become Sauron if she wanted to. She's, right. She is, you know, she would be able to do that. Sauron would fear that yeah. happening. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that brings us to the end and I yeah. guess it's, it's my turn to do thought to roam with and i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with where we ended and i'm gonna be super short about it i know we've gone long it's amazing how that happens um Mm -hmm. my thought to roam with this is that we need to recognize temptation as being sin and we need to fight it with everything we've got i think i think what i would say is i was thinking about it today like the secret sins of the heart the the renegade thoughts in your mind that start to stir your affections for bad things I i was thinking about you have to you have to just make full-scale war with that, and you have to use any mm-hmm. device possible to do it. Galadriel gives us a good example: is you just you just name name it out loud, talk about what you desire out loud, and lay it out there on the table and look at it, and it makes it a lot mm-hmm. easier to say, "No, I don't want that." I think yeah. I think she gives us that, and so my takeaway from this in a chapter that's largely about temptation would be to take temptation yeah. seriously and fight against it with everything you got. Don't let it get a foothold because it never yeah. it never ends with stopping people from digging up the the gaffer's row and setting him out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It'll promise yeah, and, that it's that, but it never will be. Yeah, and we're gonna see right. We're gonna see the other side of that with Boromir develop. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's a, it's a sad thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, <laughs> for me, I'm, I think the, the character that interestingly stood out. And so I'm going to kind of go with that is Kelleborn here. Um, and I think that 
it's I think what stood out is his lordly courteousness to his guests. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really it kind of tags on with my theme from last week or my thought to Rome with from last week. It's been heavy on my mind is right. Is that we can't let, um, right. We can't let the, the differences like the slight differences between us separate us from community, mm-hmm. you know, right. Like, like I'll just, we're Baptists here, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can't let some of the, we can't let some of the little things between us and, you know, the Reformed Presbyterians and, and whoever else that, right, that practice orthodoxy, like we're all in this together, mm-hmm. right? The dwarves and the elves should be in this together. Mm-hmm. And I think Kelborn is kind of seeing that folly. And so I wanted to kind of go back to that because it's been heavy on my mind. And I, I kind of saw that with his greeting, right? He greets Aragorn warmly. Mm-hmm. He greets Gimli and Legolas warmly. And that's all three races. Yep. Yeah. And Frodo before that. Well, that's good. And then Frodo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. That's a good thought to roam with. So I hope that I hope that was a good episode for you, and we'll stay in Lorien a little longer next time. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> join us next time on the Way Lesser Inklings podcast. Mm-hmm.